many memories have come flooding back. I put this song on repeat, just crying my eyes out. It made me feel so bloody alive. This song really nails the feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stopped talking and just stared at the radio. Like, what is that? It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it. I love that song so much. Box. Meet people through their music with Ash Berdebez on FBI. In the studio with me now, I have Lawrence Lung, comedian, Rubik's Cubist, media polymath, and now screenwriter for a film called Sucker. And just kind of based on his life as a teenage con artist, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So last time we recorded an interview, it was me and you in Newcastle in some sort of bathroom thoroughfare with lots of loud air conditioning and stack chairs. That's right. It was for the uh, Writers' Festival there. And uh, yeah, we were in a little kitchenette or something somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like every two seconds, someone would walk by. (laughs) Yeah. You did a good job editing (laughs) all the sounds of people walking past. Yeah, it was really hard. It was, it was a time. But anyway, like this is a bit of an upgrade, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, I've, bathroom's a bit further away. Uh, But yeah, lovely here in FBI. Uh, We're going to play some songs today, aren't we? Yeah. And this day we have a theme for all the songs that you've picked, which is awesome. Yeah. What are we going with? Yeah, well, I was just listening to your the cart, the intro cart there that you're playing, and some people had songs to masturbate by. Uh, <laughs> that's not what I'm doing today. I have songs from movies, but not uh, those kind of movies. <laughs> not those kind of movies either. Uh, songs from movies that uh, either uh, have inspired me or reminds me of a story or a memory from um, from way back. So yeah, yeah, lots of different uh, songs today, taken from the films. And so the first song is Loveful, and I can't remember, which, which film is this from? This is from Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes movie. Oh, heartbreak. Yeah, you know, the film that made me forever look for aquariums that I could stare through and hopefully find <laughs> there was a girl on the other side who would stare back at me, not in a creepy way. Um, <laughs> this is probably why it was, like, hard for you at times to get a girlfriend, not assuming anything, <laughs> is you were just, like, Thanks. at all the parties looking at aquariums wistfully. I was bringing the aquariums with me. <laughs> Me, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a song by the Cardigans. Um, I can't remember whereabouts in the movie it is. Um, it might be a case of one of those, you know, sometimes you get CD soundtracks to movies and it's always songs from the movie and inspired by the movie to make extra millions of dollars for selling uh-huh. CDs. Um, but yeah, this song apparently is in the movie. I just can't remember where. Maybe someone can text in and we can find out. Yep, text us in on 0409 where is Loveful in the Romeo and Juliet movie? And also if you've had any really nice romantic moments with aquariums involved. Yeah, yeah. I saw this movie when I was really young. Um, I remember that year the uh, the piano won the Oscars and mum and dad were like, we've got to see the piano because apparently if it wins the Oscars, my parents would want to go out and see the film. How so old were you? I can't remember. They took, took me along and um, yeah, I, I remember I was old enough to watch it um, but then I uh, I didn't really want to see it. And now that I have seen it, it's amazing. Like, I don't know why I didn't think I, I would like it. Um, but in the cinema next door, opening up that night was Romeo and Juliet. And so I sort of said to my parents, oh, yeah, I'm just going to... Do you mind if we I just see them film next door? And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. And then so with the piano ticket, I just stepped into the next cinema and... The film was almost about to start, so all the ads had finished playing, and I thought, 
oh, okay, well, there's not many seats left. I'll just go and sit in the front. So I sat sat in this with this empty chair next to me, and I oh, it looks like I'm here by myself because I, I saw all these like couples, the couples everywhere. So I thought, oh, okay, what I'll do is I'll take off my jacket and put it next to the seat next to me. So it looks like you know I'm just waiting for someone, and then of course the lights don't go down straight away. It just looks like I've been stood up for my date as the lights went down. <laughs> so that's my memory from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, a great way to set up feelings of loss and yeah, love. love and loss and uh, being stood up. Um, when you're just trying to sneak out of the piano. Yes. Well, at least this song has much happier vibes than that particular anecdote would suggest. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take it. It's Loveful by The Cardigans on FBI 94.5. You listen to Out of the Box. Lawrence Lung is my guest today.
Love Fool by the Cardigans on FBI 94.5, brought in by Lawrence Lung, my guest today. And guess what? We found out at what point in the film oh, yeah. it gets used. Yeah, where is it in the, in the movie? So, it's, it's not the aquarium scene, is no, it? No, it's not oh, the aquarium okay. scene. <laughs> but it is when they're about to get married and the priest is there and they're all happy. That is the text that we received in on okay. 0409945945. We haven't gotten any anecdotes about love through aquariums, though, which is just like gravely disappointing. No, no. But we no. did get a shout out. Someone has said... Um, that they would like to give a shout out to darling Chris, who is listening, and uh, they can picture Claire Danes dancing in her angel costume to this oh, tune. Oh, nice! It is a magic film. Nice. I do get all goopy about it. Yeah, and this uh, song "Loveful" by the Cardigans was also in "Cruel Intent." It's been heaps of stuff: "Cruel Intentions," uh, "Nip Tuck," uh, <laughs> "Daria," "Orphan Black," even the Australian telly movie uh, "House of Hancock." So I feel like it's a really odd one for it to be in. Yeah, I think uh, the Cardigans must be minted by now. Yeah, I can I can see Murdoch dancing around in his angel costume <laughs> to that one. So let's talk a little bit about the film that you, I mean, the pleasure of having you in Sydney is mostly due to the fact that Sucker is happening. Mm. It's coming out. It's going to be on tonight and tomorrow night for a special Q&A screening at Hoyt's in both Blacktown tomorrow night and in, is it the city one tonight? Yeah, Broadway tonight. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty exciting. Um, Yeah, this film took me a long time to to make. Um, Started off as a solo, I guess, stand-up comedy storytelling one-man show played all the characters and then uh yeah every time I performed it people were saying oh that's a really great story you should make that into a movie so how long ago was that that you actually did the first installment I did the first installment about 2001 or 2002 wow and so yeah I was just you know young dude in the library at uni going hey uh, I've got this idea for a show I'll just perform it here and so the test gig was in a library and then I did the Melbourne Fringe Festival um it did really well got an award and then people were saying we'll take this on we'll take it to Edinburgh so I did it in Edinburgh then Dublin and then all across Australia did you Uh, expect it to be that instantly successful no not at all I mean it was the first thing I'd ever had ever done I I was I was you know really nervous I didn't know what I was doing really um and then it was like at the I did it about the hundredth gig, I think, it was at the Sydney Opera House, and that people were starting to say, "Oh, we want to option the rights to this, make it into a doco or or a feature or TV series or something." And because I was quite young, I didn't really know what I was doing. I said, "Oh no, maybe I'll just write it myself. It's the first thing I've done." But my friend Ben Chessel, who is a filmmaker, uh, he sent me an email after the very first season of the show when it was like really rough, and he said, "You know." this is the vision I would have if I'd made it into a movie. And it just so happened to match the vision I had if I was to make it into a movie. So the two of us sat down together and we wrote the screenplay. We shopped it around. Um, and then, yeah, so over the years, uh, I guess his career as a TV director uh, was you know, was blossoming just as my uh, career as a, as a performer was blossoming. Yeah. So it seems to be the right time. And also because we've got an, an Asian lead, like, you know. And that never happens. I have, yeah. I have to say, I've been trying to think of a film that I've seen an Asian lead in and I literally cannot think of a single Australian feature-length film that has an Asian lead. Yeah. The only, Text in if you've seen one. Yeah, the only ones would pro- probably be um, Homesung Stories, or um, uh, Mao's Last Dancer, oh. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that would be yes, not maybe. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of like a young coming of age, 17 year old uh, character who just happens to be Chinese Australian, I don't think we really see this on our screens. True. So it was also very hard to find the right actor at yeah, the same actually, time. How, how did you do that? How did you find a, because I, I imagine if there's no real market for young Asian Australian actors, there's probably not going to be a lot of people opting to do that. Well, you know, funnily nowadays, there's heaps of young, you know, Asian 
brilliant actors coming out of theatre schools and, and, and theatre in general out and about. But, you know, years ago when we started to cast for it, it was really hard to find. It was few and far between. It's really hard to get opportunities. Um, and there's not many role models back then as well. Um, and so I remember the early days, uh, <laughs> the the director's partner would go out with like pamphlets <laughs> with <laughs> into the streets, going to Chinatown, going going to see like just seeing some you know young Asian guys in the street and handing them flies that said the word sucker on it. Would you like to be filmed in something called sucker? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That no wonder no one yeah. said yes. I in hindsight, it sounds so dodgy, it's so patently a solicitation. That's but... <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to film something with us called Sucker? Mm. So, yeah, uh, a few years ago, the producer, um, uh, I think their daughter was a fan of um, John Luck from his YouTube ch YouTube channel, My Chonny. So It has like 150 million views, but yeah. it's totally outside of my uh, my watching sphere. Yeah. It's very much like young, young people watch it. Yeah, it. absolutely. I, I He wasn't on my radar either. I, I didn't didn't know anything about his YouTube channel. So, um, yeah, he came in, did an audition. Um, he seemed to have the right sort of cheekiness and innocence and also, I guess, intellect uh, that the character required. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, you're looking at me <laughs> like I'm talking about myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, it's the character is roughly based on uh, myself with a, a lot of elaboration as well mm -hmm. um, because the film is all about lies and truth and deception and cons because uh, it's about a young guy who meets a con artist played by uh, Harry Potter's Timothy Spall. He oh was Peter God. Pettigrew. Which is, yeah, which is kind of, I mean, did you ever ask him what it's like to be known as, like, basically the snivelling mess that is Peter Pettigrew? Uh, I didn't ask, but someone else did because I was too nervous Because to he's quite dapper, him. actually, yeah. when he's not Peter Pettigrew. Slash, yeah, uh, just secretly, I think he didn't enjoy playing a rat-faced man. <laughs> It was hours in the makeup, right? <laughs> yeah, true. I imagine that. But actually, with John Luck, mm. did you guys kind of have an interesting repartee seeing as, like, he's basically kind of almost your protege. Like, he's becoming you for this role. <laughs> yeah, well, he didn't follow me around, you know, watch me brush my teeth and things like that. He wasn't method acting. He, uh, I guess what they did was they tried to keep the two of us separated mm -hmm. so that he could bring his own to it as well. And also because Ben always thought that I would intimidate people in auditions and things like that. If, yeah. and Because, you know, you don't want to... You're the least intimidating person in the world, Well, can I, I say? know. That's what I think. But I think that for young actors coming in, if they're thinking, oh, am I supposed to play the guy who's sitting in front of me? That's kind of not fair. And they just so... sit there and cross their arms and watch you. And they're like, <laughs> oh, I'm so convincing. Yeah, so um, this way the actors get to bring something of their own to it. And the wonderful thing is, is that on screen, John, is me but he's also not me which is great so it means that because when I'm performing as Lawrence when I did it as a stage show I was performing a version of Lawrence so he's performing a version of a version of Lawrence <laughs> and it's weird because both of us are in the film uh, narrating it at different times so the film's got many different multi-layers and sort of begs of the audience what's real and what's not. It's kind of like Wolf of Wall Street, how it's kind yeah. of like how you see yourself and how people might see you. Yeah, you know? Wolf of Wall Street, 24-hour uh, party people was another reference of ours, um, American Splendor. Mm. So that sort of whole uh, sort of question of how do you portray someone. And at the same time, we have this, and I hope people experience this, this lovely gameplay that we have with the audience as they're watching it. Yeah. And I was wondering, because I mean, it's semi-autobiographical mm. and you, I know you won't really delve into how much is true and how much <laughs> isn't because that's the mystery. That's the con. But I mean, have you ever actually really conned anyone out of their money? 
Oh, yeah, I have. Um, pretty much every time I put on a stand-up comedy season. <laughs> Come see me <laughs> perform. Uh, I think, well, interesting performers and, and con artists are very interesting. I, I was talking to um, an actor and, and they were saying that they find being a performer where they have to lie to an audience and the audience has to create this uh, kind of a, a suspension of disbelief to believe that someone is someone else. So in many ways, they saw acting as the ultimate con because they're pretending to be someone who's not themselves and they get rewarded for the fact that they can deceive people really well. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But they deceive through truth. You know, it, obviously their performance, a lot of actors like to say and they and they train this way to have the truth in themselves come out to play someone that's not themselves. Um, in many ways, uh, the con artists I've met and also the con artists I've studied, they have these same techniques. It makes me kind of wonder whether the Lawrence sitting across from me right now is actually how Lawrence Lung really is, you know? I feel like I can't trust you since I'm, watching that film. <laughs> I'm actually a 14-year-old Scottish girl, so <laughs> I'm, I'm do it's not real, nothing's real. <laughs> Oh, God. That was, like, really unexpected. <laughs> Pulls off the mask. That's why I'm playing Love Fool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's time for us to take a song mm. for the show by Julie Cruz. And I kind of wanted to get a little bit of an idea oh, yeah. about why. Oh, so this is uh, Julie Cruz singing Falling. is from the soundtrack of Twin Peaks. Awesome TV series. And I, I know that when I was a, uh, a young kid, I always wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, and David Lynch was, like, my hero at the time. Twin Peaks and Dune and... Um, all those surreal films like Razorhead and so I wanted to make my own surreal masterpieces in high school when I was doing media studies and I would make these kind of like dream sequency uh, short films were just that made absolutely no sense deliberately filmed them in black and white I just wanted to be arty and pretentious yeah um, I mean deliberately obscure means that no one can really critique what you're doing because yeah. you can just say you don't get it and I'm not going to explain that's them. right you don't understand you don't understand yeah. my art um <laughs> I was such a wanker as a kid <laughs> and I put my actors through just the, I just, oh, it was awful. I was awful to them. I had one sequence where uh, my friend Daniel, he had to walk out of the window on a second story level of our school and walk around because there was a, a, a little bit of a, um, like what do, you, what do you call those, uh, eaves that come yeah. out from underneath the window. It would wrap itself around the building and he would have to walk around the building and I'd film him from down below so he could have fallen and probably smashed his skull but it was for my film it's for the for my art, art. <laughs> I don't know what the metaphor I was going for was then but uh, we had to film it on the weekend so that no teachers would catch us <laughs> that's the level of commitment Lawrence Lung's a bad guy <laughs> on Out of the Box on FBR 94.5 here it is Julie Cruz with, Cruz with Falling Twin Peaks
Listener Julie Cruel's Falling on FBR 94.5, bought in by Lawrence Lung. And I kind of want to get a bit of an idea about your, your wanky Lynch influence yeah. from high school. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I was a massive David Lynch fan, as you can tell from that Twin Peaks song. Uh, yeah, one of the other... Oh, here's a, here's a scene from uh, uh, Insomnia Blues was a f- short film that I made. One of my... Uh, my of wanky films when I was trying to be a pretentious David Lynch filmmaker as a teenage kid and um, in this scene uh, this guy the whole film he can't fall asleep because he gets getting distracted by like noises and all sorts of goings on and the hijinks and he he finally cracks and he says oh he can't sleep he can't it's this is all silent anyway he uh, he decides to I know it's really dumb he commits so he wants to commit suicide because he can't sleep he's so sleep sleep deprived he's not thinking straight so he stands up on a chair he puts the curtain cord around his neck and he jumps and the curtains open and it's broad daylight oh the irony i can't <laughs> believe i made that film it's what a terrible idea and so inappropriate it sounds, it sounds amazing <laughs> but um amazing Call lifeline if i've made you <laughs> just hate that movie but i'm so sorry yeah that's basically yeah it would just be so great if that would just be dredged up by the school that you went to oh, and they'd be like hey look no. we've got the tapes oh, we've got the vhs i'm assuming it's the worst <laughs> worst short film ever i was so pretentious back then so before before you heard from julie cruz with falling 
We were talking a little bit about Sucker, yeah. about your new film, which you can see tonight if mm-hmm. you go to Hoyt's. There's still tickets available? Yeah, Hoyt's, uh, it's selling pretty fast. Uh, Hoyt's Broadway at 6.30 tonight, yeah. Yep, and there will be a Q&A afterwards so you, people can nag you with questions about, how true is this story? Yeah, can Are I have my really money back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, audiences so far, because you've actually done like several iterations on stage, some of them, many yep. of them, um, of sucker, yeah. Uh, and what kind of things do audiences usually nag you about afterwards? Because I know that I'm oh, just going to yeah. try and ask you these questions, and you're going to have to deflect. Well, part <laughs> of the film uh, and also the live stage show was genuine card cheating effects. So mm-hmm. when I performed it live, I had a ta- uh, you know a tabletop with a green felt on it, video camera over the table, watching my hands with cards projected onto a big screen, and I'll explain how con artists and my mentor had taught me how to basically cheat at cards. You can deal yourself the high hand. Um, you can control aces and you can even do that three card Monty, which is um, what you might see in street corners of New York or on trains in, in Japan or even under the Eiffel Tower. These con artists still play this old scam. It's one of the oldest street swindles where you have two like jokers and a queen and the idea is you've got to keep your eye on the queen as he's flipping the cards around. And it sounds so easy that you oh, just want to do it. Oh, it sounds so easy. Mm. Um, but the sucker will lose every single time. And more often than not, it's because the part of the um, the crowd gathered around the con artist is a um, an accomplice known as a shill. And they would s- sort of G up the crowd and they'd win a few times and make it look very, very easy. Mm. And uh, yeah, and so people get lured into it. But nowadays it's so anachronistic that people know it's kind of like a scam, but they still want to play yeah. because they yeah. just want to see if they can beat the Monty man. <laughs> Um, so often after uh, the live shows and now after the films, in, in the Q&A sessions I've been doing in Melbourne, people have been asking about, you know, how did you do the cards? Was it CGI? And it's like, no, it's not computer graphics at all. These are genuine, we don't even cut away, these are genuine card techniques that uh, con artists and card sharks actually and use. You can do that, but can John Luck do that, who, who stars as you in the film? Yeah, he, he does a, a short sequence in the film. Um, I train John Luck and some of the other actors in uh, genuine sleight of hand card techniques. And that is the sickest job, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in the credits as a card sharking consultant. <laughs> And uh, there's a scene where uh, John, you know, shuffles a deck of cards and he flips out the four aces. And and the crowd, last night I was like watching because I was in the back of the room and I could see some, you know, boys in the crowd going, oh, yeah, it's cool. (laughs) Sick, mate. Yeah. So not good for picking up, like, chicks, but good for picking up young dudes who are like, cool. Great for picking up young dudes and going down to the (laughs) casino or something. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's really important in movies that actors can do at least one scene that credibly shows what they do. So if it's like someone playing a, a rock musician, you have to see them playing guitar. Mm, yeah. You know, I know um, in Shine, Jeffrey Rush had to learn a piano piece. So the camera can pan down and you go, oh my God, that's actually Jeffrey Rush's hands. Actually, in a second, we're going to play, we're going to have a piano piece that you personally would like to play. Not just yet, yeah. though, because I, kind of, I kind of just want to dwell on this idea of like, you know, the, with all the cons you're doing and with all the sleight of hand, mm. everything's happening right in front of people. Why can't they see it? What's the psychology of deception behind these kind of tricks oh, right. that you do? Well, I guess uh, the whole reason why uh, deception works, um, in visually, it's, a lot of it's to do with misdirection, um, but a lot of it's doing uh, to do with you set someone down a, a garden path of 
expectation and then you can just always twist the expectation so they don't realize something's happening because they don't know what to look for. Mm -hmm. It's the same way that jokes work. You know, if you look at the rule of threes, you set up a, a, a conflict, set up an expectation, and then you break the expectation in the same way magic tricks work and even great storytelling works. You have to surprise and delight people, but you can't make it come out of nowhere. You have to sort of set up an expectation and then twist it. And when it comes to con artistry, it's the same thing. People fall for it because they want to believe. It's all been turned into a bit of a science, hasn't it? Yeah, it's turned into a bit of a psych lecture here <laughs> this morning at FBI. <laughs> so, and it's all, it also kind of relates back to your, um, your series, Unbelievable, where mm. you kind of actually, you know, you, you do things like, oh. <laughs> a lot of ghost actually, hunting. Yeah, lots of ghost hunting, um, creating your own UFOs and making people believe in them. Yeah. Which, I mean, has that actually... Did people believe the yeah. UFOs that you made? Yeah, if you look on YouTube, um, people had uploaded video of the UFO that we flew above the Hunter region and all these people arguing in the comments about whether it's real or not. <laughs> and it, it's funny because the people who are true believers who want to believe in UFOs are like, no, this is legit. And then there's people who are like, oh, no, it's just a hot air balloon, mate. You know, there was a music festival grooving the moon nearby, so it must be that. No, it was neither of those things. It was just us making a stupid prank. Um, I'm completely obsessed with the idea of seeing is not always believing. Um, it makes for great stories. And if anything, I, I, you know, I love being fooled and tricked myself. It's, yeah, it's a bit delightful. And yeah, it takes me back to childhood. Totally. When everything was like wonderful and you just didn't know anything, so everything was new. Yeah, it's like the first time you see Wi-Fi and you're like, that's magic. Wi-Fi yeah, is magic. Anything wireless, to be honest, I'm yeah. still baffled by. Um, you know, sliding doors that yeah. automatically slide. Have yeah. you seen kids encounter them for the first time? Oh, the, they the lose look them. Their face. They go nuts. Yeah. yeah, and then they realize they can make it open. Oh, I remember. Like I am magic. <laughs> I remember um, looking out my um, back window when I was a kid, seeing a little baby from next door, like an infant, a toddler. Um, when its parents left the room, the kid looked out the door to say, "Yep, they've gone." The kid pushed the chair up into the door frame, climbed up on the chair, and started flicking on the lights on and off. And then he stopped because I think he could hear that the parents were coming back, got off the chair, pushed the chair back, and then pretended to be playing with his toys again. So because wow. he's probably seen adults flicking that switch, controlling lights, you know, all of its life. And then for one time when the parents left the room, he could climb up and do it. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, master the magic of light switches. Yeah. So I think it's time for that song that I mentioned a second ago, this one that you would like to learn on the piano. Oh, so yeah. uh, we've got something by Jan Tissen. Tell us about this. Oh, yeah. This is from the Amelie soundtrack. Um, I can't even pronounce the title of the song. It's like, Comptin d'un autre ette. Excuse my French. I can actually say that. Excuse my French. Um, L'après-midi. Yeah, that's it. Something <laughs> like that. laws. Yeah. Honky, honky, honky. Um, it's, a, it's, it's probably the best piece from uh, the Amelie movie. It's the best piece from the soundtrack. Um, it's so simple. There's no uh, accompaniment to it. It's just purely piano. Um, and it's moving and it is so French. All it needs is, you know, some accordions and a baguette stick banging in the background, but it doesn't need it. Um, it's, it's a beautiful piece by Jan Thiessen. Thank you. 
the box. Subscribe to the podcast at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. That song is never, ever, ever, ever going to get old. Ever. And it was brought <laughs> on by Lawrence Norman Lung. I'm uh, out of the box today. Uh, yeah, that's from the Somersault soundtrack by uh, Dakota Ring. And, you know, there's a running theme. Um, obviously, I'm playing just soundtracks today. Um, but, yeah, I really love that song. Uh, despite the fact that... Uh, okay, well... <laughs> My uh, w- my ex-girlfriend, this is years ago, one of my girlfriends, she was a massive fan of the movie Somersault by Kate Shortland. And she always recommended, oh, you have to see this movie. You, you really have to see this film. It's the most beautiful film ever. I love it. I love it. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe I should. And I always miss the opportunity. And then finally, um, we were someplace and someone had the DVD and it's like, oh, let's borrow this. We'll watch it. And I remember thinking, I know you love it. I got you the soundtrack for it. The soundtrack's great. Let's watch this film. We sat and watched the movie. Then when the f- end credits finished rolling, you know, we sort of sat there quietly. And then we broke up with each other. <laughs> what? As in just straight after the film? Yeah, we just no, had... A, no banter, just, hey... Yeah, we had this a... This can't go on. Yeah, we just had... No, it wasn't as simple as that. <laughs> no, we just had... You no, know, it was a long chat. And then 
yeah, I think maybe the themes of the movie kind of was like, yeah, the characters are kind of like us and we want freedom and we want, we, we realized that we were just best friends. We'd been going out for about two years and then, yeah, we're actually best friends. Um, um, That's such a revolutionary film. Yeah, then, yeah a film that can make you feel yeah. the feels and then afterwards you have a bit of a chat and then, hey, yeah, I think, I think, yeah. Interesting. Did, you, did you feel good walking away from that? Then? Uh, not really. No, mm. I didn't. I felt, I felt really crushed. Um, and I think she did too, but you know, it was like that, you know, when people say, oh, it's a mutual breakup and really it never is, but it was, it was kind of, it kind of, the film was a gateway to us sort of talking, yeah. uh, about our relationship. And in many ways, maybe that's why she was getting me to watch the film all along. Who knows? Hey, you could probably ask her. She'll be like, yeah, you know, enough time has passed. Yeah, I was yeah. making you watch that film just so you could kind of be on my wavelength. Yeah. And we could just end this. That's right. Um, see, see, the, see it from the character's point of view and also her point of view. Um, but that's why that song has particular resonance for me. I feel um, like you've got a lot of breakup stories that are related to songs. <laughs> yeah. I think we all do. I think um, people have been, you know, crying to songs uh, in their cars for a long time. This is true. This is true. And some of them are just things that we can't talk about. Luckily, the ones that you have broken up to have been amazing. So, Somersault by Dakota Ring just oh, then. Oh, such a good song. Oh, yeah, bittersweet. All yeah. of the feels. You know, sitting in the studio, you can see people from the station, like, appear in the window to the to the corridor, just fanning themselves and, and crying. Oh, really? Yeah, just doing cry face fanning. Oh, it's such a beautiful song. It, it, it was either that or bringing in a whole bunch of Tori Amos songs, but I think <laughs> Dakota Ring, yeah, hits me every time in the guts. It's a little bit more FBI appropriate. So, um, we're going to go to a new song now that is, uh, you know, worlds apart, but it's also on a soundtrack. Mm. So, fitting in with your theme of tunes from the screen. And uh, why did you want to bring in something with the dulcet tones of Julie Andrews on it? I think this is a perfect palate cleanser <laughs> after the heartbreak of Dakota Ring. Uh, this is my favourite things from the soundtrack to The Sound of Music, which is the greatest musical uh, film ever made. Um, it's also, my, I think, my mum's favourite film. Um, what's, I, what's your mum like? Because I, I feel like your mum seems to appear in a lot of your work. Like yeah. in Choose Your Own Adventure, your mum and dad just have this like yep. set up on a couch where they just, you know. Yeah, insulting <laughs> me and, yep. you know, calling me out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in many ways it's like, um, oh, yeah, uh, have you seen Master of None? Um, it's Aziz Ansari's uh, new Netflix series and he casts his parents as well. And uh, I can say, yeah, I did that first, as is. <laughs> um, yeah, my parents were so lovely um, uh, to, to appear in, in, in the TV series. And also, uh, my mum is such a, you know, you know wonderful person. Um, you know, all the way through my life, she's like, you know, always saying, you know, do what you want to do, have fun. Uh, Really? Be, be a doctor, but... <laughs> do what uh, you want to do, as long as it's being a doctor. I, I played a doctor in Offspring, so there you go, Mum. Have that. Actually, um, was, she, was she totally stoked about that? Yeah, she was actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She she was really pleased. And I had to deliver babies in that show. Um, okay, so how does a baby delivery happen when we're talking about... Because, you know, it looks so real when you see it on oh, TV. It, it is real. Like, as in you I, actually delivered a proper no, baby? No, <laughs> it's a It's a, I think, 11-day-old. Um, and there's a qualified nurse uh, midwife on set who basically tells me how to hold a baby properly because I pull out from, you know, under the camera a real 11, you know, day old baby. And it's covered in um, baby food and jam because it's safe, but it also looks slimy. <laughs> but the problem is it makes it super slippery. So I'm like so scared of dropping this child that is a real 
baby on its head. Um, so they tell you how to hold it, you know, properly around its neck <laughs> and its like feet with two hands, and it's so tiny and fragile. And then you'd have to do it a few times because you got to cover it from different angles. So each time I'm thinking, I'm only just getting it done right. I don't want to try it again, but you have to. <laughs> and then um, when the scene's done, I, I walk out of the room and I realise that the mother of the child is watching on the monitor and she's like been staring at me with like Don't you giving me shade. Drop. Yeah, yeah. I, if I'd known she was watching, I probably would have been more nervous. Yeah, your nerves would have been totally <laughs> fried. Walk out of the scene and just collapse. Like, yeah. oh my God, never have babies. Oh, those babies have good agents to be on that show, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. My favourite things, Julie Andrews from The Sound of Music. Lawrence Lung is my guest on Out of the Box today. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. Girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, silver white winters that melt into springs. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so Whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. In white dresses with blue satin sashes, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, silver white winters that melt into springs. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so. Great song. So good. So, Whoa. so, so good. And that is a little bit of a taste of what might yeah. be coming in a second. In if a few it, weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so, so that's um, uh, My Favourite Things by Julie Andrews from The Sound of Music. And I remember when I was a little kid, uh, mum would always go, hey, it's on TV tonight. We've got to all sit down as a family and watch The Sound of Music. But I was so little that... I or it's such a long movie, right? It's like yeah. three hours long or something. Yeah. I always fell asleep at the same point halfway through the movie. Always fell asleep halfway through the movie. So I always well, what's thought, happening in that scene? I want to know what's so oh, boring about it. You know, it's it's the scene where all the kids are going upstairs to bed. Good night. <laughs> and you're like, good night. Yeah, and then it was like it's like a lullaby. So I fell asleep. So I was like a little tacker. I fell asleep. And then years later I remember people saying to me, Oh, you know, and then you know, blah blah blah, the Nazis and the, hang on a second. 
Nazis. What Nazis? There's no Nazis in the film because all the Nazi stuff happens in the second half of the movie. Yeah. So when people was talking about Nazis in The Sound of Music, I always thought that like one of the kids was a, like a secret Nazi or something. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what was going on. So uh, yeah, it's just like when if you miss the start of, and this has happened to me, um, that Patrick Swayze movie Ghost. Yeah. If you miss the start of it, you don't realise that he's a ghost for the entire movie. You just think that everyone's ignoring him. <laughs> it's like these people are just so rude. I don't never want to live there. You got to watch the whole movie, everyone. <laughs> See the whole film, otherwise it has no context. Uh, yeah, Sound of Music could have had aliens in it. I wouldn't know. I only saw half of it. Speaking of um, my favorite things, which is the name of the track we just took, um, what the hell is up with schnitzel and noodles? Schnitzel and noodles is like one of the dishes that they're like. Is that's one of my favorite things. Really? No one, no one eats that. No wow. one ever. It must be like a special Bavarian or Austrian dish that we're not really aware Maybe. of. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, so I was thinking we're gonna we're gonna follow your theme of songs from films, and yeah. uh, there's a band called Ash, not, yes. na- not named after me. Um, and Should be. Kung Fu is the name of this track, oh, and yeah, I, I yeah. wanted to actually know why you wanted to bring this one on today. Oh, uh, Ash. Um, oh, what's the album called? 1977, and I remember hearing this next song. Um, uh, Kung Fu because it has lots of references to Jackie Chan in it mm-hmm. um, and when I was a lot younger I met Jackie Chan um, Was he a hero of yours? Yeah he right? was actually yeah, yeah. Um, like I said my mum and dad you know always put on Jackie Chan films old VHS pirated copies from Hong Kong or something <laughs> um, yeah and no, so I grew up watching heaps of Jackie Chan movies that he's he really is like Buster Keaton he's a very good physical comedian um but what I loved about him was that he's he he was the first dude to make kung fu slapstick because we always had Bruce Lee and always had really tough guys and cool guys in the past, but he actually made it funny and fun. Um, and uh, I got to meet him because he was filming Mr. Nice Guy, a Jackie Chan film in Melbourne. Um, and so I kind of got wind of he was appearing at uh, the Melbourne showgrounds shooting a scene there. So... I snuck down there with a couple of friends of mine. How old were you? Uh, I think I was in year 12. Okay, so and like just the right age to be a bit stalky. Yeah, like, like 18, not, not cute 17, something <laughs> like that. And I, I took my camera down there and I pretended to be like the on-set photographer. Um, <laughs> Cause, you know, it actually I, works really well. Like if you ever want to get into like a gig or anything, just yeah. go with a big camera and people think you're legit. Yep, yep. Just wear black. It's either a camera, a DJ box or a high-vis jacket can get you mm-hmm. anywhere. Speaking of con artists. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I got onto the set and he just had a fight sequence inside a Mr. Whippy van. And then, of course, <laughs> at the end of the whole fight sequence, when they're finished filming it, he starts making ice cream for all the cast and crew. So everyone gets in this line and he's making, like, you know, chocolate sprinkles and, you know, you know, soft serves for everyone. And then finally I realised I was the guy at the front of the line and then he passed down a soft serve towards me. And I froze. I couldn't take it because it was Jackie Chan looking down at me, handing me an ice cream. <laughs> and um, I took a picture, uh, grabbed the ice cream, and then I ran away. I could. T- I, I reckon he could tell that I wasn't part of the crew. <laughs> That's adorable. And, you know, in honour of that moment, Kung Fu by Ash on Out of the Box today. i 
people through their music. Out of the box. <laughs> so, uh, on out of the box today, <laughs> I have comedian of the screen and stage, Lawrence Long. You might have seen him start a Skype band in Choose Your Own Adventure, outsourcing that task to India, and you also might have seen him become a Kung Fu master in max- Maximum Choppage, or maybe you saw the inside of his rectum in Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, this song would have been a really great soundtrack for that moment. Yeah, yeah, uh... The th- use the force, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I need to. I need to get this on my phone so I can um, play this while riding my bike. Yeah, I'm just wondering, people out there today, if they're in their cars, how they're driving their cars when that plays. Like, <laughs> are they smashing through everyone? Uh, that's it just, of course. Car just levitates. Sorry. Yeah, that's of course um, Imperial March um, from the Star Wars. Uh, all the films, really. Um, I thought. I should play that song because um, The Force Awakens, you know, the new Star Wars film, is up against my film, Sucker, this December. And so, you know, I've got to help the little guy out. Yeah, maybe doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I p- helped J.J. Abrams out by playing some of his music. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he gets some royalties out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the other reason you might have bought a song like that on? How has it factored into your life? <laughs> oh, no, I love Star Wars, you know. I, I, 
as as much as you know, I know my film's going up against uh, you know the Star Wars um, you know independent film of theirs. Uh, yeah, I've I've already got my tickets to see their film. Uh, I'm sure uh, they've got their tickets to see yeah, yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope they do see mine. <laughs> a bit of an aside: there is a video on the internet of a two-year-old singing the Imperial March, I've seen like Darth it. Vader's theme. So, so cute, cute. Oh and it's by nanny cam, <laughs> so the kids just by itself with no one around, just <laughs> humming it. Yeah, it's so good. Adorable. <laughs> So about that film that uh, is coming out tonight and uh, people can see it if yeah. they want to see Sucker, which is basically a, a coming of age film, yep. a, a con man's road trip film. Yeah, well well described. It's it's so many <laughs> things. Is it a coming of age film? Is it a road trip movie? Is it a con artist movie? It's a, is it a love story? It's kind of all those things mashed together. There's John Luck playing a young version of me. We've got Timothy Spork from Harry Potter and... Sean McAuliffe does a sneaky cameo in the film as well. You know what? I, I previewed the film and I actually didn't recognise McAuliffe because he was just so yeah. well disguised as yeah. this kind of like bug-eyed clerk in yeah. the store. He, he actually wanted to have that wig. So, yeah, he, <laughs> he made sure he disguised himself really well. Worked out really well. So so why should people see Sucker? Ah, I think people should see it because it's just a, I guess it's just a cracking yarn. And it's really I mean, good Australian film. I mean, you know, very Australian vibes. Yeah. Just, I mean, know. I've I've seen lots of films um, uh, in art house cinemas which are Australian and Australians don't really make genre films. So mm -hmm. here's, a, here's something which is a little bit different different uh, we don't really make films with Asian leads and also to see a film in Hoyts where I've seen lots of superhero films or action movies to actually watch a character who isn't the strongest person in the room with the most firepower he actually you know gets away with things because he's the smartest person in the room we don't usually see films like that coming out of Australia either especially in commercial cinemas uh, I don't know if that's a reason to see the film I just reckon we had a ball making the movie so uh, come along fun. and see it I want to share it all right, Hoyt's Broadway, that's tonight at 6.30, or if you're around Blacktown area, it's 6.30 tomorrow night, and tickets are still available for both of those, uh, selling out fairly quick. Yep, and then we're doing Q a Q&A straight afterwards, so you can heckle John and myself. Yeah, and ask, <laughs> how much of it is real? How much is it real? Can we have our money back? Yeah, you know what? I've just given up on trying to figure out who you really were, who you really are. I don't trust you at all, so, I mean, I've just, I've just gotten used to that. I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got one last song for the show, and it is by the XX. So why this song? Ah, oh, this song. Uh, it's the very first track from their debut album, but also it's a song that uh, the director of Sucker, Ben Chessel, and I are totally enamoured with. And there's a particular sequence in our movie which we wished we could have this song because we had it as our temp track during our test screenings mm. and it just fit like a glove. And you fall in love with you temp tracks every time. You fall in love time. with temp tracks. We wish we could have this song, but we can't afford it because mm. I think people um, use this song for probably commercials and things like that. So they probably thought we could get a lot of money out of this tiny little Australian film and we can't afford that. But uh, yeah, but luckily we have Paul Mack as our composer and he wrote a different, completely different track which fits this, this particular scene perfectly and in fact all of his songs throughout the movie are just amazing especially this nightclub scene and got, it gives him the chance because he lives in Berlin now to play German style techno in our movie and actually have the music and the beats follow the story of what's happening in the movie so emotionally oh, I was the, wondering how you found a song that fits so well yeah because because Paul Mac made it mm. and um, yeah so he's done an incredible job on our soundtrack it's also the scene with one of the best tracking shots I've ever seen so if you yeah. want to check it out you can see it tonight at Hoyt's or tomorrow night uh, Hoyt's Blacktown so yes. Broadway tonight Blacktown tomorrow 
Thanks so much for coming on the Thanks, show. Thanks, Ash. It was Thanks great fun. Yeah. Thanks for picking some excellent songs. We've got some texts in. People are really feeling the tunes. I'm pretty sure most people are just feeling Imperial March. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those days. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks.